Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory, and on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. And if you have not done so, and you listen on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. And speaking of five-star reviews, I would like to give a special thanks to Berglund Sophie, who writes a big five stars for this incredible podcast. I have been obsessed with this podcast since I was accepted to the Peace Corps in Nepal a few months ago. I leave in two months and I have listened to every episode. It has gotten me even more excited and prepared for what I know will be the most challenging and enjoyable two years of my life. Thank you, Tyler, for for all those PCVs that you have interviewed who have shared their unique Peace Corps story. Highly recommend this podcast to anyone who is considering joining the Peace Corps, has been accepted, or is a return volunteer. The stories and experiences are magical to listen to. Well, Berglund Sophie, thank you very much for leaving the review. And I encourage you guys to really reach out to me and let me know what you think of the show. It helps uh, inspire me and keep me going. And on this week's episode, I am very excited because I get to talk to two digital nomads, something that I've been interested in a while and maybe want to pursue one day, and I got an opportunity to talk to two people doing just that. So without further ado, this is, this is, this is, this is my, my Peace Corps, Peace Corps, my Peace Corps, my Peace Corps story, story, story. My name is Michelle. My name is Jed. And And this this is is our Peace Peace Corps Corps story. Hey, Michelle and Jed. How are you guys doing? Hi, Tyler. We're doing great. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Going pretty well and excited to talk to you guys because you are digital nomads. Uh, Some of the listeners may not know uh, what a digital nomad is, and we're definitely going to get into that. Uh, But it is something that I have dreamed about for a while, been looking into. And then once I stumbled across you guys on Instagram as being returned Peace Corps volunteers, uh, probably because you use, you know, hashtag RPCV or Peace Corps, which I'm always looking at given this podcast. I was like, oh, I need to have these two on the show because they are doing what I want to do and what I expect at least uh, a, a sizable portion of the audience would also be interested in. So thank you guys for coming on the show and spending some time with me. Of course. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Well, because this is the, my Peace Corps story podcast, let's start off with your Peace Corps experience. Uh, where did you guys serve in the Peace Corps? Uh, we served in Jamaica from 2012 to 2014. Yeah, we were in a small town in the southwest part of the island called Savannah Lamar. We actually lived on the outskirts um, in like a rural community. Uh, I worked in town where I was stationed at a community center um, as a youth program uh, person. I don't even know if that's the correct term these days. And I ended up uh, helping do like nonprofit community management uh, and then also um, taught some computer classes to our elderly community there. And I was working at a rural primary school that was just maybe like a half mile walk from our house and teaching literacy in small pullout groups. Okay. And you guys came into Peace Corps together. Uh, you did not meet in Peace Corps. That's correct. Um, Most people kind of jump to that assumption, but we had actually been married for four years before we went into Peace Corps, um, and we worked at universities before we worked in uh, student life. Yeah, Peace Corps was kind of like our sabbatical. We wanted to try something different, try something new, and uh, live abroad for a couple years, and the Peace Corps offered a really great opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. And... Did you think that you would, you know, go to Peace Corps, 
you know, treat it as a sabbatical and then sort of, you know, do something different, recollect yourself and then go back into uh, university life? That was the original idea. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely the plan. (laughs) And uh, it just so happened that, um, you know, the Peace Corps experience was very transformative for both of us. And as we were entering close of service, we were really thinking about like, what do we want to do with our lives? Like what, what else could there be out there? And um, that's kind of how we ended up becoming digital nomads is that process. Mm-hmm. Well, we're definitely going to get into that. But, but before we do, talking a little bit more about your Peace Corps service uh, and what exactly were you doing in Peace Corps? Uh, you know, what were some of the projects you were doing, your day-to-day life? Uh, paint a picture for us of, of what it was to be volunteers in Jamaica for the two of you. Sure. Um, so we got to live with a really awesome host family. We were in a little apartment um, in the basement of their house, nice big rural property. Um, and so we really loved um, spending time with them, with that couple. And um, their four daughters were basically our age and kind of came and went from time to time. Um, like I said, I got to walk to my school every day. So Monday through Friday, uh, had a pretty standard teacher schedule. Um, and I basically evaluated students in grades one through four. Uh, a lot of them were having trouble even knowing the alphabet, um, you know, in fourth grade, just because, you know, they don't get that at home. Maybe they have some mental or um, educational challenges. And so I would take small groups out of class um, and work on literacy skills and try to make it more interactive and and then get to go home. And a lot of times I would head over to Jed's community center. Yeah. Yeah. Jamaica is an interesting country for service because it really varies in terms of what your Peace Corps service will be like. So we have volunteers that are very rural and who are kind of like the traditional volunteers where like they have no running water or um, no electricity. And then we have some urban volunteers and Michelle and I were kind of like in the middle of those experiences where I was working in a town. So I would catch the bus into town or a taxi every day. So it was kind of like commuting like I would in the States. Um, and I would go to a community center that was luckily for me was brand new. And so when I showed up for my first day, it was literally one person, me, two chairs and like no furniture. And so it was a brand new complex, no operations. Um, and I ended up I was supposed to be teaching youth programs and starting youth programs uh, for our community there. But it ended up being like because we were brand new, just helping them get uh, started, helping develop operations um, and then once people started coming to the center, we we saw there was a need to teach people how to use computers. We, we were lucky enough to have computers at our community center. So I ended up teaching computer classes. And most of the times my students were uh, the elderly community, which was great because they were really willing and wanting to learn how to do simple things like operate the computer and email. Um, so that was our town. It was a pretty... Um, pretty big town, I would say, for Jamaican standards. It was mm-hmm. pretty busy. Um, and Jamaica in itself, a lot of people just think of like beaches and, you know, like maybe a vacation kind of lifestyle. But we were in a very working class uh, community outside of like a resort area. Like we weren't, we were kind of near one, but not necessarily in a resort area. Um, and Jamaicans are awesome, very lively, like mm-hmm. everything you can kind of imagine. Um, but the culture also is very difficult there. There's, it's not the easiest place to be a volunteer, uh, for lots of different reasons. Um, but overall we really, really enjoyed the experience and and love the people and just loved our town. Yeah. And you said that you lived with a, a host family. So that's from, from my experience and where I served in Burkina, usually always the, the couples, the, the married couples, they had, their own house they they weren't with host families but but you guys were so how was that set up were you guys in the same house did you have uh, an adjoining house yeah it was basically a private apartment um that actually the grandmother used to stay in um and so 
we had our own private space, but they were just right upstairs. Um, and occasionally we would share a dinner together, but we'd have to actually plan that, you know, so we did have kind of our own space and privacy. Um, but they're just, they were some of the most open-minded people that we met on the Island. And so we just loved getting to know them, um, you know, attending their daughter's wedding in the backyard, just really great experiences. Yeah, it's pretty typical in Jamaica because of the, the situation with crime and safety that every volunteer, whether you're a couple or not, sort of lives in a host family situation. Not exactly where you are sharing the same house, but definitely the same um, what they call like a yard or a complex. Yeah. So like in your yard, you could have like two or three families and you could have your own apartment or house in that complex. But you're still kind of connected to like a host family or a roommate or some sort of Jamaican that is uh, their responsibility is to like help sort of be a I don't want to say like your security. They're not your security, but um, just to help ease that situation of like you being isolated and alone. Uh, it, it just was a better situation to have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it definitely sounds like it's the the best of both worlds that you have your own private space, you can do your own thing, but then you have a direct connection to a family and all the good stuff that comes with that of you know being invited to uh, a wedding in the backyard and sharing meals and getting that deeper relationship that I know is sometimes hard when you don't have like sort of direct arranged access uh, to that. And it, it eventually develops, but it's always easier if it is your host family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the setup we had really was the best overall situation because we had our private space and they had their private space. But at the same time, we were still close enough that we could spend time together. And it wasn't even expected either. That was really nice, too. It was um, we really felt like they respected our privacy and, you know, treated us like we're adults. And and like we really got a chance to develop some really close relationships with their family. So it really was we still looked at this day like. They, they're still family and we, we just love them. And when you, when you were talking about your experiences with them, uh, you, you did mention the wedding. Uh, was that like, uh, one of those happy memories that you look back to that was just a fun cultural experience? Uh, or do you have another one that, you know, like a story that you like to tell is, you know, an iconic, you know, Jed and Michelle Peace Corps, uh, Jamaica. Wow. I mean, there's so many stories that are like iconic Peace Corps, Jamaica, Jen and Michelle stories, but the wedding was definitely one that we always look fondly on uh, just because it was in their backyard and just to experience it. And, and I think the big thing was that it rained. Like it was in their backyard. Jamaican weather is totally, it's an island tropical weather. So you don't know if it's going to rain or not. And it downpoured after they had, they had set up everything. Yeah, like the gla- the wine glasses filled up with water. The yeah. tablecloths were soaked before the ceremony started. So everyone's just kind of like rushing, trying to fix that. But the couple was not phased, you know, like just went on with it. This is how it's going to be. Used umbrellas to go down to the ceremony and yeah it was muddy i mean it was it's a backyard right so there's not like tons of concrete or anything and they just they didn't they didn't mind and they had a great experience and the guests i remember the guests having a great experience too yeah and And by the time we actually ate it was clear and everyone could like sit and enjoy dinner yeah it was that was really cool and then one of the things we did for the wedding um was we made cinnamon rolls as like part of the desserts and michelle and i like spent almost two days baking like hundreds (laughs) of rolls we actually made them originally for christmas so we gave them to the family and the daughter liked them so much that she requested that we make them as a dessert for her wedding and we were like wait how many people and and you know like wait cinnamon rolls and and what was funny about that culturally too is People did not go for them at first because they were... They didn't know what they were. Yeah, they had no idea. And then one person started to eat it. And in true Jamaican fashion, they were like, you need to eat this now. And they were gone by the end of the night. So that was fun. Like, How many cinnamon rolls are we talking about? Like 200, but small. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we had pans and pans. And I mean, we had a really small Jamaican kitchen. 
and it was just funny that like looking back we're like wow we made all those cinnamon rolls we can't believe it <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah. you said that there's you know tons of memories which there always are you know you're you're living there experiencing it for two years uh, do you guys have another fun story that you'd like to share um one of my favorite stories is we got caught in like a huge, huge thunderstorm, like torrential, almost hurricane like rain and lightning so bright that it lit up like everything, like everything seemed like daylight for a couple of seconds. That's how bright the lightning was. Um, and I'll never forget, like we were walking back from visiting another Peace Corps couple who lived kind of in our area and we were walking to like the main highway to, to, to try to catch a taxi or a bus home and that's when it just dumped on us and we had no idea it was going to be that big of a storm and I'll never forget that this one guy who's kind of our local taxi guy or he drives this bus or minivan I should say he drives a minivan and he picked us up and I remember like that experience because he has this rickety old van and he can barely see his like headlights don't work. The windshield wipers aren't really working. The windshield wipers weren't working at all that night. And <laughs> if you looked at the front windshield, it looked like a waterfall was coming on top of it. And behind that was just pitch black. Yeah. He knew the roads so well that he would just inch along. And if headlights were coming, you know, he'd kind of pull over. But he was basically driving blind. Yeah. And and what's crazy is that he kept picking up people and (laughs) we were actually going in the wrong direction from our house, but he knew where we lived. And so we just kept dropping off people to their homes and and helping people get to where they need to go. And eventually he dropped us off and we just looked back and like we knew he was going to take care of us. He was going to take care of other people. We couldn't believe we even made it home because his bus was leaking and I mean, it was just one of those experiences where like, wow, that was crazy, but we made it home. And also like he was, he was going to make sure we got home safely. And like, that just reminded us like how special like the Peace Corps experience is and, and how Jamaica is too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, you, you'd said, uh, Jed, that, uh, your experience was difficult for, for various reasons. And you talked about that you weren't living in, in a resort town, but just removed from one. Uh, and I think a lot of people who think of, okay, Peace Corps Jamaica, they do think of, okay, resort town, it's going to be, you know, reggae music and tropical drinks on the beach. And it's going to be a great vacation for two years. Uh, but, in, in talking to volunteers who served in countries like Jamaica uh, that are sometimes considered posh core countries, uh, you definitely learn that there are difficulties that are consistent across all Peace Corps countries. And just because it may be a vacation destination doesn't mean and definitely doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. So can you talk about some of the difficulties that you guys experienced and saw firsthand? Yeah, I think I could agree that it, in some ways it is a posh core compared to other countries um, just because the physical aspects maybe aren't as hard. Um, you know, we might have more amenities in Jamaica, um, but I think the real challenges were mental. I think mentally it was very, very um trying, exhausting. Um, and it's, it's hard to describe why, because it's, it's really tied up in Jamaican culture, which has some really beautiful, wonderful aspects to it, but it also comes from slavery. Um, it comes from brain drain to the U S and the UK and kind of entitlement because people are sending money back, Um, There's just a really complex web of issues going on that kind of prevent people in Jamaica from wanting to improve. Um, And obviously, as a volunteer who wants, you know, to make life better in your community, um, all the obstacles against kind of the cultural obstacles against people wanting to improve their lives even um, it is really challenging. 
Yeah, I think Michelle saying the word complex is the best way to describe it. It's if you go as a volunteer to Jamaica and all you came out with is learning that Jamaica is more complex than you realize, then that's a good thing. And and to share that with other people, because there it really is like a lot of people from the States go to Jamaica and they see it as a vacation uh, opportunity and they, they lo- they'll leave and they'll say, oh, yeah, I went to Jamaica and I had such a great time listening to reggae music, ate jerk chicken, whatever. But really, they missed out on learning about the history of how the country started and the problems that still exist today. And they really didn't get a sense, a chance to, you know, like see how people are actually living out in the country. Um, And that's, you know, obviously a privilege that we're lucky to have as Peace Corps volunteers. But with that comes, uh, you know, issues of, you know, like when we think of when Jamaicans saw us at first, you know, they see us as tourists. And most of the time they think of tourists as having money. And so, you know, oftentimes they would say, oh, you know, like people would ask us for money on the streets. Uh, People would be shocked that we're taking public transportation instead of like, how come you don't have your own cars? They would constantly ask me because I was of an Asian background um, if I had a business because that was typical in Jamaica. So it was just it's just very complex. And then on top of it, if you are an introvert at all, Jamaica will be a very difficult country to live in because they're very extroverted. So every day when you walk around the streets, people are constantly saying hi to you or want to talk to you. Um, you you can't just blend in. Like you are definitely seen as like a novelty and, and someone who stands out. Uh, so in those aspects, it's, it's difficult too. So I think it's just tiring. Um, and again, there are beautiful aspects of of Jamaican culture. We loved it, but it's just more complex than people sort of realize from the outside. Mm-hmm. And then now starting to get into the, the transition of Peace Corps service to being digital nomads. Uh, what about your Peace Corps service or was there something about your Peace Corps service that, that caused you to want to pursue uh, being a digital nomad? What was really interesting about the Peace Corps service, for me especially, is that um, I actually didn't want to live abroad, and I was not really into travel at the beginning. And I think a lot of that was attributed to fear, fear of uh, my own safety, for Michelle's safety, um, just fear of being away, you know, maybe just the unknown as well. And so Michelle had always wanted to live abroad, and she really had been the one to help me see that we should try to do sabbatical and and do this the Peace Corps experience. So when we lived there for two years and just had some really great experiences, met some great folks, and live was able to live there for two years, like it just felt like wow, like we could do this. And for me, it was like I said, transformative. It just really opened my mind to the possibility that wow, we we lived here for two years. We should consider trying to live abroad elsewhere. And and Michelle was obviously on board like she had always wanted to do that. Um, But, yeah, that experience was great for me to really see that it it was possible and like what could we do? Um, And I think the other thing that made me sort of change or realize that being a digital lab was possible was that we knew what our old lives were like. We could always go back to it in a way like we knew what. Again, the sabbatical is nice because you can like you take some time off and the idea is you go back to your what you were normally doing. Um, so we kind of were like, well, why don't we just like extend the sabbatical essentially? And why don't we try something new and just try it? Because even if it doesn't work out, then we can always go back to what we knew. Um, so that's how the Peace Corps experience kind of changed me in that essence. I don't know if you want to add something else. Yeah, I would say two kind of key things. Um in Peace Corps kind of helped move us towards this lifestyle. Um, One was that we were blogging, and Mm -hmm. um, maybe we can talk more about that later. But the second one was being on the island for two years. (laughs) We were really itching to travel afterwards, um, not even thinking about, you know, work at that point, but just like, oh, we want to do some travel after Peace Corps. And so I started doing some research. And I came across people that were digital nomads 
Um, so that world kind of opened up to me because I didn't know it existed before. And then I also came across people who were travel hacking, um, which refers to the use of, you know, miles and points to get free flights. And I didn't realize how that could really be a tool before. Um, and so that also really opened doors because obviously coming from Peace Corps, we don't have tons of money to use traveling, but um, kind of learning this hobby of travel hacking, we're able to do a lot of big flights without spending. So Yeah, I think what we just realized is that it was more affordable than we thought. I yeah. think the idea of travel is it's way too expensive and I could never do it long term because it's too expensive. And there were just so many people out there who demystified that. They were just like, no, it is possible. And and fortunately for us, they also said, and here's how you do it, which is really nice. Like there's a lot of support and information out there to help you get started uh, on your own. Yeah. So after Peace Corps, we essentially committed, um, you know, I think we left April 29th. It was our final close of service. And so we said until the end of the year, um, we're going to try to just live off of our, what is it called after you leave Peace Corps? Yeah. What is that thing called, Tyler? The, when you finish uh, and they, like, readjustment allowance. Yes. yes. Thank you. <laughs> we're like, we can spend our readjustment allowance, but not more than that from now until the end of the year. And to help with that, we are committing to not pay rent or for hotels. So all of our accommodations has to either be with people we know or in some kind of exchange situation. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's how we just we started. We just tried it and had to figure out how to generate income. That was like the next thing to keep it sustainable. Um, and, you know, we've been doing that since we left our close of service. Yeah. 2014. So the experiment still goes on today. But for, you know, so for the for the past four years, yes, wow. And then I guess before we get too deep into this, because I'm gonna have a, a ton of questions, uh, <laughs> can you guys just define or, or your definition of what it means to be a digital nomad? Sure. And there's kind of two terms that people are using now: so digital nomad and also location independent. Um, digital nomad refers to anyone who is doing their work online um, and traveling or living abroad in some way or another. Um, location independent is very similar, but maybe you don't have to be so digital, I guess. Um, location independent could be your house sitting everywhere that you go Um it could be that you're living at home, but you don't have to do all your work from one place. And so if you wanted to travel, you could. Um, yeah, the, the term and the definitions vary for different people because everybody has and should have their own strategy for how they want to accomplish this. So a good example is we have a, a couple, uh, friend, um, a friend couple, couple friend. <laughs> <laughs> and they live out of their RV full time and they have traveled around the United States uh, full time. And so they're nomadic, they're location independent, and also they do their work online. So they would be considered digital nomads. They don't necessarily live abroad um, and do what they're doing, uh, although they're they're considering that. But that that sort of gives you one aspect of like them being a digital nomad. And then Michelle and I, like we travel for a couple months and then we come back to a home base in the States and then we go out and do it again. Um, and then there, we know people who like we just we have a friend of ours who travels, I would say, like 90 percent of the year. And she comes back to the United States just for like two weeks out of the whole year, which is pretty amazing. So there is a wide spectrum and lots of people uh, do things differently. But again, the main thing is that. The, the nomadic lifestyle of just constantly moving or seeking new places, not having sort of like one lease or uh, a central home base for a long time. Like that's that's sort of what brings us all together under that umbrella. Okay. And you guys have been traveling and on the move for the last four years. Uh, where Where have you guys gone? 
Wow. Um, I think we've gone to 20-something countries. Uh, our first trip was to Canada and then to France. Um, so in the first year, yeah, Canada, France, and then we also went back to Jamaica while we were kind of starting up our client work. Um, and then we did our first trip to Asia. So we've been to Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, Japan, um, recently South America, Colombia and Ecuador, Mexico. Yeah. A, a couple of places, yeah, a couple places in Europe. Um, some of the places Italy. are, are strategic for, uh, being a digital nomad. So we find places that are, the cost of living is not too high. The internet is solid. Um, you know, and, and just like a really great place to live and work from. Um, sometimes like we, we just recently went to New Zealand and that was a, a stretch for us in terms of financially. Um, uh, but you know, we always wanted to go to New Zealand and it was kind of on our pathway back home. So we, we scheduled that. Um, but every single one of these places we have done work in, which has been kind of cool to say, like we, we've been actually been able to do work in those places. Uh, and yeah. And as you're traveling, like how long are you staying at any one place or what's the longest that you've stayed in one place? I think the longest we've stayed is about two months, right? Yeah, and ideally two to three weeks is kind of a minimum because if mm. you are working um, and you still want time to like go walk around and actually see things where you are, um, you really need to stay put for a while and, you know, get used to where the grocery store is and, and those kind of things. So I'd say for me, three weeks is kind of the minimum. Um, doesn't always happen, but. Yeah, we kind of like that lifestyle now, the slower travel. And maybe that's attributed to Peace Corps as well. Like we like getting to know an area and building relationships if we can. Um, and then, you know, cause like moving around and traveling is really difficult and maybe we're just getting older, you know, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's, it's like we're not really into the adventure like aspect where we're kind of constantly repacking and moving. I don't know if we can we can we don't really enjoy that as much uh, these days. So we try to stay in places for longer. But it's also based on finances too. Like we could have we would have loved to stay in New Zealand. I mean, I would have I would have moved there if I could, or in Switzerland for example. But those places are so expensive, and so we really had to be very. Um, careful about how long we stayed there. We just literally couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think there is that desire once you've done Peace Corps and really experienced what it's like to live in a place for two years, those superficial vacations and just stopping into a place for a few days, hitting all the stuff on the you know, the top 10 things to do, it doesn't really give you a sense or you know like in your heart of hearts that you really didn't experience it. Uh, so that's what really draws me to that this sort of lifestyle of being able to go to a place and be there for a month, two months plus, where I can like get to know the lady at the grocery store and have my corner restaurant that I, you know, go to over and over again. And I and I like that aspect. Do you feel that there is a, a sweet spot for you guys? I know you said you like to stay there longer but it, are you guys maybe thinking about doing more longer term stays uh, in, in the future to sort of slow that down a little bit? I think one thing we've realized is if we're going to a new place, I think we try to, like Michelle was saying, we try to schedule ourselves to be there for two to three weeks to really give it a, a, a chance to like, like for us to learn about it and see if we like it and whatnot. And then if we really like it, we we tend to go back and then try to stay there for at least a month or so, you know, maybe two months. Um, so so that way that the two to three weeks sweet spot is pretty good because then it, it just gives you a chance to like sort of be there, get a, a sense for it and then determine if you like it or not. And if you don't like it, what's nice is that you're not there too long, right? Like if you booked yourself to be in a new place for two months and all of a sudden you didn't like it after one week then that could, there could be some, you know, negative consequences with that. Mm -hmm. So I think two to three weeks is a, is a good sweet spot. 
Yeah, and we're doing that with um, in Hoi An, Vietnam. Uh, three years ago, we stayed for like 10 days with this awesome host family. Um, we had a, a private room, private suite, basically in their in their homestay, um, and just fell in love with that family and also with the town. And so we went back the next year for maybe six weeks, and we're going back this coming year as well for about two months. And then we're also going to try bringing um, a group, a tour group to kind of explore that place because we liked it so much. Yeah. It just kept growing on us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you stayed with the host family. How did you find this host family or was this kind of like just an Airbnb situation that just so happened to like the host family? How do you find where you guys stay? Yeah. Well, actually, I wrote a whole book about it because <laughs> people kept asking me. Um, but with that one, it was through Airbnb, but I kind of have some tricks that I use with Airbnb and basically like being very meticulous about reading their host description and the reviews. And so I could tell that they were really into cross-cultural exchange Um, And so I started communicating with them through Airbnb and asked if they would be interested in doing an exchange with us. So they gave us a discount on their largest room um, in exchange for new photos that first 10 days. Um, So that's how we first met. And then, I mean, we just had a great connection with them and kept coming back. They invited us to stay for $350 a month, which includes use of their bicycles, internet, breakfast, laundry, room cleaning. <laughs> like we basically didn't have to do anything and um, it was a great deal for us. Yeah, but they're, and they're just an awesome family. And I, I would say that like Michelle does a really good job of, of researching. So like that one was an example of Airbnb, but Michelle will actually like go on Facebook and find expat communities and ask around. Um, and then we just continue to use the power of social media. You know, like that is one of the benefits of social media is being able to ask friends who know us, who know our values and say, Hey, we're going to, uh, like we want to go to Italy. Does anybody have a connection? And so like we have a good friend who connected us to a homestay that she did in Tuscany. And now we we've done that experience, had a great uh, experience with them, become friends with them. And, you know, like if somebody asked us if we know anybody in Tuscany, we would share that experience as well. So I think the power of connection and sharing is important as well. Mm -hmm. And you guys are able to, to find these places that give you a, a cultural experience that are still very, very affordable, but, uh, they do cost money. So what are you guys actually doing for work? How do you guys actually pay the bills, even though you, you do keep them to a minimum? Uh, how do you afford to live this lifestyle? It's good. It's a good uh, point. And I think we do a combination of what well, means like a bunch of different strategies, right? But like one of the main strategy, as you mentioned, is keeping our expenses as low as possible. So when we do like these help exchanges where we are offering like our time and service a couple hours a week in exchange for like our living accommodations or sometimes food, um, then that's a great way that we can knock off like a huge chunk of our um, like expenses down so that way we can like afford to be in a place like Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, And for work, yeah, if you want to explain a little bit about what we do. Yeah, we essentially started our own freelance web services business, for lack of a better term, because it really is a mix of things. Our first client we actually met while we were serving in Jamaica. It's a nonprofit from the States um, that works in a Jamaican community. And they wanted to keep in touch on social media with all of their supporters in the States. So they hired us uh, for a monthly ongoing contract to manage their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and then they also have a hotel. So I manage their TripAdvisor account and their Facebook for the hotel. Um, so they still pay us uh, monthly over the past four years. And um, we've done a couple other projects from 
like helping a restaurant rebrand their business, get new menus, um, to customer service for an author. Basically we work with, uh, small businesses and nonprofits to kind of improve their presence online. Um, so we have some different clients, um, each of us, and they are all on an ongoing contract, which is great. We don't have to keep looking for new projects every month. Yeah. So, so both of us have some freelance clients and then the, one of our other things that we do is we help plan a annual conference in Portland called the world domination summit, which is not as like scary as it's <laughs> yeah, maniacal as it's up. It's, uh, it's just, a, it's just a, uh, an awesome event every year that brings p- people who live unconventional lives, such like us, like digital nomads, um, to Portland, Oregon every year to learn from one another. Um, and we are part of the event organizers for that. So we work remotely to help plan that uh, part of the year. And then uh, half of the year, we are actually in Oregon to help plan it and then run the event. Um, so that's sort of the other main thing that we do. So it's really a combination and hodgepodge of different projects. And uh, we make a little bit of money on the travel blog, but it's mostly our freelance yeah. work. Yeah, but it really is just a hodgepodge of different income streams to help us uh, sustain the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And the work that you are doing, uh, are you guys, I mean, it's sort of hard to be, I guess, classically trained or educated uh, <laughs> in, in this stuff, but did you guys have a background in it going into Peace Corps? And if not, how did you learn the skills and then learn them enough where you could convince someone to pay to pay you to do it because I you know doing doing the things that I do for this podcast and a few other projects I feel that I know several platforms really well but I don't know if I know them well enough to ask somebody to give me money (laughs) so how do you how did you guys do that sure we are definitely not trained um we're not experts yeah, Jed anything. was a sociology major. I was a French major with a, a business degree. And um, we learned these skills mostly through blogging and thanks to Peace Corps for the third goal uh, office for recognizing our blog during our service. We actually started taking it a lot more seriously, um, both in content, you know, thinking about like, oh, the our blog is actually impacting people back home for the third goal. And it's, uh, we have a captive audience while we're here, um, to really help them understand what Jamaica is like. Um, but in doing that, we developed a lot of online skills, um, online marketing skills, started learning about how social media marketing works. Um, and as I said, our first client, um, we became friends with this nonprofit in Jamaica and someone had pitched them to manage their social media for, I think $500 a week, um, which they couldn't afford. And their expertise is in nonprofit and community organizing. Their expertise is not in social media, um, but they don't need some fancy, highly educated social media manager. They just need someone to do it for them so they don't have to worry about it. So they were happy to pay us, you know, in between, uh, you know, not $500 a week. (laughs) So we kind of found this niche where, um, we don't have to be like the highest, most expert, uh, at what we do, but, but we can, I don't know, do it to a level where it actually helps organizations and they don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I think it's just knowing your clients and knowing what their needs are and making sure that the services you provide truly benefit them and and help them, but not at costs that are outrageous or, you know, or things that they don't need. Um, and, and I think if you think about it in that sense, everybody is at a different level of where they are at in their business. And so if we felt that our clients needed like more professional help and services that we don't offer or we couldn't provide, then maybe they will eventually go to somebody else. And that's okay. Um, And we know what we do well and what we can do to help people. And and so we try to work with 
and that's why we're very particular about who we work with. We work with small businesses, um, individuals, authors, uh, you know, artists, things like that. But we don't try to sell ourselves as as marketing experts and, you know, ready to work with a Fortune 500 company that needs like very specialized skills. Um, so I think in that essence, like it's really just knowing who you are, what services you can provide and really finding the right people to work with. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've, some of our clients we've had for over four or five years and they're still satisfied and thankful for the things that we provide them. Um, and we've also turned down work. I remember we got offered like to do a whole website redesign for like this big organization. And I was like, we, sorry, you're talking to the wrong people. And I think that's important to recognize as well. Okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, as you guys are talking, I'm sitting here just scratching down questions and now I have probably like two hours uh, <laughs> worth, worth of questions uh, to just continue asking you guys. Uh, but I'm, I'm guessing you, you've been capturing all your, your insights and what you do and how you do it uh, on your blog. Yeah, I think we have a number of posts about being a digital. We have one that's like, what is a digital nomad? Um, and I think it's really important for people to see all the different kinds of things people are doing. So you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to do like computer skills or be a web programmer, um, although that is maybe one of the easier things to do. Um, we've met digital nomads who are lawyers or counselors. Um, Doctors who are doing consultations, you know, via Skype and video chat. Mm -hmm. um, we've met people who are running Airbnbs. Um, I don't know. What are some other examples? Yeah, I mean, just a variety of different things. It, I think, like, the Internet really has opened the game for so many people. Uh, if you're a designer, an artist, even a musician, um, you know, like, you, if you can think of ways that you can – transform or work remotely i should say and that you're you could do it from anywhere like that's yeah that's sort of the idea behind it and but, yeah to answer your question yes we have tried to put those resources on our website <laughs> which is intentionaltravelers.com all right so intentionaltravelers.com uh i'll link to that in uh, the show notes for this uh, episode. And you guys also mentioned, or Michelle, you mentioned that you have a, a book. Uh, do you have one book, multiple books? Pitch your book. Uh, this is a, I, I am all about the, the shameless plug. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so tell us where we can find more about uh, what you guys have been doing. Yeah, the book uh, I just wrote this year, it's just one and it will probably always be one. Um, <laughs> It's called An Intentional Traveler's Guide to Unconventional Budget Accommodations. Subtitle is Creative Ways to Save Money on Transformational Travel. Yes, it's a mouthful. Um, it's on Amazon, but uh, you can also find it through intentionaltravelers.com slash book. Um, and it's basically capturing the different strategies that we have used to save money on travel and... Um, how that has actually made travel more meaningful because in the process of saving money, we're usually spending more time in contact with local communities and less time closed up in a hotel. <laughs> so, All right, Well, I will also uh, link to the, the book if people want to check it out and figure out how they, they transition uh, I know I've got a lot of return Peace Corps volunteers who listen to this podcast, uh, and maybe they're wondering, okay, I, I've come back to the United States and I, I have a travel itch, or I'm not liking what I'm seeing uh, here back home. Maybe I should find ways to, to stay abroad for a little bit longer. Uh, it sounds like your book is a, an excellent resource uh, to, to build upon a lot of the skills that they probably built as volunteers, just like you guys did. Well, Thank you for, for coming on the show, for taking some time to talk about your experience in Jamaica, and then even more time to uh, help me explore digital nomadism. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast uh, before we end the show? I think I would just say that being a digital nomad is not necessarily for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. But if you are thinking about it, um, it, it is 100% possible. And I believe that for anyone, um, regardless of what your background is, and, and I think it's worth it. Like having the flexibility um, to be able to move around, to be able to visit family and friends when they are in need, especially, um, it, we can't imagine going back. <laughs> like the flexibility and freedom that the lifestyle brings is 100% worth it. Yeah, and I think like, you know, I mean, your listeners are are mostly, you know, like returned Peace Corps volunteers and, and people who love traveling and, and see the the power that travel has to transform people. And, you know, I think that's, again, going back to my Peace Corps experience and how that transformed me and got me like prepared and felt comfortable and ready to travel. And now having four years of travel and over 20 something plus countries, like I'm still constantly amazed and humbled by travel and just the people we meet and the lessons we learn um, from those experiences and and just being humbled by it because I really think our world in our world we really need to like uh, break down barriers and walls and have people uh, see each other on a on a human level um, and that really transforms us and it transforms our world and our Jamaican host mom like one of my favorite sayings is she says people are people. And I constantly go back to that and just being like, yeah, no matter our differences or whatever it may be, like people are people. And we need to see that and see the humanity in each other. And, and travel has really uh, done that for us. And so I'm thankful for Peace Corps and, and this digital nomad lifestyle. Well, guys, thank you for taking time to to share with the audience all your insights. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. And I cannot say thank you enough. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, we really appreciate uh, this time. And there you have it. Another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to find out more about Jed Michelle and what they're doing as digital nomads, uh, look them up on Facebook or Instagram at Intentional Travelers. Pretty easy to find. They have some amazing photos on their Instagram that will definitely make you jealous and want to be a digital nomad yourself. Thank you guys for spending some time with me, listening to their story, and supporting the podcast with your time. It means a lot to me, uh, knowing that I am helping people, uh, reaching out to people, and sharing stories. Well, guys, until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours? What's yours?